0: Welcome on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing around the world. You can go to traincpe.org, or you can follow all the links from our webpage at breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll also learn about our Missions Church Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and it's from this fellowship that we share with you God's Word. Let's turn in our Bibles now to Psalm 51 and consider how it is that God deals with the immensity of our sin. David is putting into poetic form a record of his confession after the horrible sins that he committed with regard to Bathsheba, sins in which he committed adultery, actually entered into that adultery first by coveting after her, in which he sought to lie and to deceive and to hide and cover up his sin, after which he ultimately had her husband put to death in order that his sin might not be revealed. I want to encourage you not to think too harshly of Bathsheba. The story will tell us that he saw Bathsheba on her rooftop bathing, but the image that is put forward there is not the image you might have. It would just be the normal thing of washing her hands or cleansing herself, maybe before the end of a day or before a meal. And then also that she came unto David, well, he was a despot. He was the voice of the law of the land. He sent his servants and they took her, it said to him. Not necessarily that she had any choice. After he had her husband killed, it says he then, after the days of mourning, took her again to be his wife. Once again, he's covering his tracks. You can read about this in 2 Samuel verses 11 and 12. So the story recounts sins of covetousness and stealing and adultery and lying and murder. And the victims are the nation of Israel. The victim is Bathsheba. The victim is her husband Uriah and all those that he gathered around him to cover up his sin. David has done it so neatly and tidily that nobody knows. And then God sends the prophet Nathan to David to reveal to David that God knows. God saw. And God brings him to account. God tells David that because of his sins, there will be an ongoing judgment upon his kingdom. There will be consequences for his actions. Nathan tells David the story of a man in his kingdom who was very rich and had many sheep. And yet he had a guest come and visit him one day. And he didn't want to sacrifice or put to death any of his sheep to feed this guest and so he went to the home of his poor neighbor, who had only one little ewe lamb that he raised like a daughter, and his whole family loved it, and he ate at his table, and the lamb slept in his lap, and he took that little lamb to his home and put it to death and slayed it and cooked it up in order to feed his guest. David says to Nathan of this evil man that he will die for his crime. Nathan says to David, You're the man. God knows. Prior to this point in time, David has been dealing with the guilt of the sin and he's tried to push it off by becoming that much more zealous in the prosecution of law in his kingdom. So everybody ought to be moral and right. You know, there's two ways to deal with your sin. Either you try to ignore them and push them away as if they're nothing or the other way is you try to overcome your sin by being better and better and more vigilant at following the law and prosecuting it the lives of other people. David was taking that route. But when David finds out through Nathan that God knows this convicted heart of his breaks under this final word from God, and at that moment, he gives a cry out for forgiveness and cleansing, and that's what we have recorded here in Psalm 51. And David wants something so badly of God in this psalm that he just keeps mentioning it over and over again. He wants to be forgiven. He wants to be clean. He wants to be right before God. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Look there. In verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. In verses 9 and 10, he says, Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. I would have you learn one thing here in this statement. David knows he can't wash them away himself. God, you've got to to cleanse me. There's no other answer. That's what David wants more than anything else, having this revealed to him. What we noted last week was something of the pathway of this confession. One of the things we noticed was that David begins with pleading for God's mercy to bring him forgiveness. In other words, David has to come for this forgiveness through the outpouring of the character of God. God, if you don't apply yourself to my forgiveness, I have no hope. There's nothing I can do to bring myself forgiveness God, you must apply your own attributes and assert them towards my life and my sin for me to be forgiven. God, have mercy to me. So what David does is he appeals to the character of God because without God's character being drawn upon, there's no forgiveness for sins. That's our first point here this morning. To accomplish our forgiveness, write this down if you're taking notes, and if you aren't, take notes. To accomplish our forgiveness and cleansing, the outpouring of the incomprehensible, innumerable attributes of the eternal God are required. If you want to have forgiveness in your life, God has to pour out his infinite attributes upon you. That's what it takes. How much does it take to forgive you of sin? Everything God is. Everything that God is. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. David pleads for mercy and grace. Those two words kind of join together. They meet together in the one word that speaks of mercy here in the Hebrew. David knows that God alone can wash him. But here is comfort in this. God can forgive sin no matter how dark it is. God can cleanse us from our sin no matter how deep the stain is when God brings all of himself to the work. David also then goes on to appeal to God's faithfulness or God's love. He says here in loving kindness, the word here is hesed, which oftentimes means mercy and grace. But since that word has already been used by another word in this context, the most common way to understand it is he is saying, God, in your loyal love, in your loyal love, bring to me this forgiveness. So he's calling two more attributes, love and faithfulness, loyalty. God, be dedicated to me and forgive me. What David is doing is He's reminding God that He is a God who gives promises and that God never lies, He keeps His promises. And God had made promises to David that He would place him upon a throne forever, that He would be His son or His child or His one, His king for the nation of Israel. God had made promises to the people of Israel that if they would turn to Him, He'd forgive them. God actually came later and gave this exact same promise, in a sense, to the son of David and Bathsheba, Solomon, Solomon built the temple of God. He built it in Jerusalem. And there, as Solomon dedicated the temple, God came to Solomon and revealed this truth to him. He said in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now, if David had taught his own testimony to Solomon, Solomon would already know that truth, that God turns and brings forgiveness and healing to the one who turns to him in confession and seeks his forgiveness. If your children know your testimony, they should know that truth as well. They should grow up to learn and understand that there is nothing they can do to earn their salvation, no work, no secret knowledge or some key to unlock. But only this, that God Himself would come when they confess their sins and they throw themselves upon Him fully and He forgives them. Your testimony to them should sound something like this. They can weave it out of whatever you say. That God called me out of my sins when I was in my sins. He lovingly set His call upon me through the work of convicting me of those sins. He brought me to repentance. I laid hold of Him desperately as my Savior, my Lord, And as I laid hold of him, I found out he had already laid hold of me. And I pledged my heart to him, my all to him. I asked him to forgive me. And he in loving kindness and mercy and grace forgave me of all my sins. Sometimes it's hard for our kids to hear these things because they only see us in the position we're in right now, in our standing. I look at Fred and I think of something of his testimony, which it's hard to picture and understand, came to my mind of a young football player that was quite well known and everybody was recruiting him to go to college and he found his way at Boise State. That team became a winning team. He was just wanting to be the best football player ever and he wanted to succeed and do better and better. And finally, in all that effort, their team won their games. They were winning. Fred was after, I think it was a victory. Maybe it was a loss, but it seems to me it was a victory. You can change the order here a little bit. He's lying in his bed as a young college student who's living for the pleasure of sin, who's wanting to just keep one foot in the religion of Christianity, but the whole leg in the world. And he's giving himself to all the things that would bring him fame. He has success, and he's lying in bed, and he realizes it doesn't matter. It doesn't answer. It doesn't fulfill. Confesses his sin and his need of God to change him, and he's changed. And Well, someone sees him in church every Sunday, singing along with him praying when he has an opportunity to pray in church, whatever it is. That's their identity of Fred, and they've lost sight of the story that brought him salvation. Greg has shared with me this testimony. It's one that you might not know, but it's a wonderful testimony of a young man who's grappling with knowledge and is brought to church all the time by his mother, but there's a lot of contradiction in his family, and he's searching for God to speak to him and give him truth, and he asks God specific questions in his prayer, and then in the middle of the prayer while he's agonizing about whether he should give his life to Christ, he opens up the Bible randomly and looks down and finds Psalm 116. And there is he reading and every single question he's asked is answered completely in that psalm. And he surrenders his life to Christ. I oftentimes look at Dave and I think no one would know what kind of guy Dave was like when he was growing up. The fact that when he was in the military, he wouldn't put up guff from anybody. And if anybody gave him guff, he would just it would take one punch and he'd knock him out. I think you knocked out your superior officer, didn't you? Or something like that. It was a sergeant. Yeah, well, you weren't a, Dave wasn't a sergeant, but the sergeant aggravated him and knocked him out. He had grown up in an abusive home where there was a lot of religion, but there wasn't true faith, and there was a lot of abuse in his home. Somewhere along the way, and through all those actions, you can think of the anger that gets built up in you. But then God broke through with the truth that it wasn't them, and it's not them, it's you. I want to change you, and I want to transform you, and I want to forgive you. You don't know their story, but it's all there. There's a story. It's a story of finally reckoning with your sins, seeing what you are apart from Christ, realizing that God is calling you and pursuing you, and you cast your life on Him. You trust and believe in Him, and He saves you. And This is what David is trying to communicate, what David is trying to make known. And if Solomon had heard it, he would have understood it from his father's will, that God had loyally pursued him in love and brought him salvation. David doesn't just stop there with mercy and grace and with faithfulness and with a promise-keeping God and with a loving God. David presses on there and says, God, call up all the multitude of your tender mercies. God, everything you have I need in order to have the sin taken away. He needed God's power and God's limitlessness and God's eternity and God's omnipresence. That is, he needed a God who was in every place at one time and at every point in time he was in the same place. He needed a God just like that to deal with a sin. So that at every point at which he had sinned along the way, there could be a God who would go, go back there and wipe him clean. And wipe him clean as well. He needed a God who had complete knowledge of all things. A God who was all wise. A God who was sovereign in control of all things. Who was just and holy. A God of judgment and wrath. Yes, he needed that as well. He needed a God who was patient. And he needed a God who had even more things than that. Attributes, God, I don't even know yet. God, all of your multitude of tender mercies. Common. Purge me and cleanse me to address my sin. God was convicting him. God was working in him. God was bringing him to confession. But The reason David called upon God in this way, what brought David to this acknowledgement that he needed all of the outpouring of this great work of God and God himself pouring out his attributes was that David saw his sin. David saw his sin to such an expanding degree and such a nature that he basically was able to say, God... I need all that you are to rescue me from my sins. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, go to traincpe.org or thebreadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.